This episode was made possible by generous support from Cobbled Streets. Learn more at justaspecial.com. Welcome to Just As Special, the place to learn more about foster care from diverse perspectives. I'm Natasha, a foster mom, and this is the third installment of our This Foster Care Life mini-series, where we weave together multiple stories around the same topic. Today's episode is How to Show Up in a Broken System. It's no secret that child welfare has a racist present and past, and that children and families of color are far and away overrepresented when it comes to foster care than their white counterparts. Racial inequities in child welfare systems across the nation are now receiving a closer look in the wake of current race relations. First, we're going to hear from Ashley Schuster-Downand, a foster parent and public policy professional. As a white woman, Ashley has been asking herself some tough questions that we could all benefit from pondering, no matter our race or ethnicity. Before we hear from Ashley, a quick note on a term she uses that you may not have heard of before. The word Latine is a gender-neutral alternative to the word Latino or Latina. Latine is used most often in Spanish-speaking contexts, but it's becoming more common in English-speaking environments. The E at the end of Latine mirrors gender-neutral endings in the Spanish language. Uh, This is in contrast to the term Latinx, which uses the anglicized ending X to delineate gender neutrality. The word Latine was chosen for this context as it honors the linguistic heritage of the root word. All right, here is Ashley. People who haven't met or seen pictures of my adopted kids or kids in care often assume they are black. My husband's coworker blatantly made this mistake, telling my husband how especially equipped he is to handle issues of diversity in the workplace because of his black kids. Despite those coworkers' assumptions, our kids in care have always been white or Latine. While the statement by my husband's coworker was problematic for so many reasons, It reveals the false assumption that foster kids are black kids. But unfortunately, that assumption, like many assumptions, is based on a kernel of truth. According to data gathered by the Annie E. Casey Foundation, black kids enter foster care at rates that don't match their proportion of the population. The same is true of Native American children. I remember one time after we had already been fostering for three years, We met with our agency social worker to update our home study. She said, it says here in your file that you prefer white or Latina children. I was so embarrassed. How could such a racist statement be in our file? Of course, we don't prefer white or Latina kids. Then I remembered when we were creating our first home study, the worker asked what race of children we prefer, which is a crazy question to ask, but this is the reality of foster care. And quite honestly, it is a necessary question. You want foster parents who are fully willing and able and prepared to care for children of a different racial background than themselves. We told the worker that we feel equipped for white children, since both my husband and I are in fact white. We said we also feel resourced for Latina children. My husband speaks Spanish, I'm conversational, our kids attend a Spanish immersion elementary school, and our social circle very much intersects with the Latina community. I told her that we'd welcome children who are Black, but that if or when we did, we would need to expand our current social circle to include more members of the Black community. I didn't feel that our current community would be adequate to support the needs of a Black child. 
That nuanced answer was simplified to white and Latine preferred. I was trying to do what was right, which I now know is not enough. If I'm honest with myself, do I have what a black child needs, or for that matter, a Latine child or a Native American child? The answer is a resounding no. I cannot provide certain cultural knowledge as a white person. If I were to foster or adopt a child of color, they would lose not only their parents, but also access to a huge piece of who they are. But at the same time, if a better option wasn't available, namely a family of the child's same background, then I knew I would say yes. As a white foster parent, a question I have often asked myself is how do I show up in a system that is built upon my own superiority and the exclusion or detriment of others? How can I be part of a system and at the same time protest its functioning? And perhaps most importantly, when I have children of color in my home, I need to ask myself what implicit bias I'm bringing to our interactions with the child and their family and how can I mitigate them? The questions continue for me. How do I move away from white saviorism, which has characterized many foster parents, while at the same time steering clear of viewing the role as merely a job? I've thought about this question a lot, and it's a tricky one. Some of the rhetoric I see in the foster care world is of mostly white female foster parents swooping in to rescue the black or brown child from a horrible situation. The foster parent gets to experience their moral superiority while glossing over the complicated and oppressive reasons why this system exists in the first place. Unfortunately, white females have been falsely portrayed as beacons of virtue, goodness, purity, and even godliness throughout recent history. This is in contrast to the stereotypical view of black women or other women of color being viewed as lazy, incompetent, immoral, and careless. I don't want to replicate that story. And yet, in what ways do I, by the nature of my position, and what can I do to reshape that narrative? Here is how I've come to view my role. I've been able to reap the benefits of privilege, and therefore I have a responsibility to disperse the benefits. It is not a matter of charity, but of setting things right. I can do that by caring for children who have been removed from their families in a race-conscious way, I can do that by uplifting and advocating for the whole family and for their reunification. And I can do that by decrying the system that led us here. This is an ongoing question for me, but I did write up a few actions that we as white people can take in order to do our part in changing the narrative of race in foster care. As Ashley mentioned, she has provided some steps people can take to change the narrative of race in foster care. To see Ashley's writing, visit our blog at justaspecial.com, where you can find her article titled, How to Show Up as a White Foster Parent in a Racist System. I'm a woman of color myself, and I have to tell you, I got chills reading Ashley's writing and learned a lot that I can apply to my own foster parenting. If you've enjoyed hearing from Ashley as much as we have, give her a follow on Instagram at Ashley Schuster Downend to see more of her writing about foster care as a social justice issue. We really appreciate her work and think you will too. Now, let's hear from another foster mom. Aubrey and her wife, Laura, are white women raising Black kids in care in the New York City area. And Aubrey shares really poetically about what that's like. Raising Black children as a white parent 
means I must continue to do my own inner work to bring my privileges and biases into the light so they don't do harm operating unchecked. Must deconstruct the ways that white supremacy culture has been woven into my consciousness and my practices and my relationships over the course of my life and to avoid replicating that in our home and in our family must actively advocate for anti-racist policy and practice in the many institutions that impact their education and well-being, their schools, the child welfare system, to use my voice and my privilege and my power to disrupt racism instead of co-signing it with my silence. This is every single day work. It's forever work. But that's the me-centered work and the work of any white person invested in anti-racism. But as their parent, it's also my responsibility to ensure that my children know and love Black people and Black culture, that they have an abundance of Black role models and mirrors in all areas of their life, that they unapologetically love their Blackness in a world that doesn't. Being their mama means fighting fiercely to protect their self-love, their sense of pride, and their unbridled joy. Because their joy is an act of resistance. You can follow Aubrey on Instagram at Aubrey. That's A-4-H-S-B-R-E-E. So we all know foster care is complicated because of racial issues, but it's also complicated just because of everyday issues. Now we will hear from foster mom Nikki Brown about the complications of moving states while foster parenting several children. Between the online, uploading, phone calls, and in-person visits, I'm tired emotionally and physically. Here are the things to do, I don't know, expect before transferring a foster child to another state, or I guess when you get there and you've already transferred, here's what happens. So first and foremost, I would have to definitely say, make sure that you make copies of all the documents in your foster file, um, because whether you're with a private agency, state, county, or whatever. So um, every foster parent usually has these binders. They usually have um, everything pertaining to the case, um, social security numbers, birth certificates and health records and things and you're kind of stripped of those things so you want to make sure that you make copies of those because um, when you transfer to another state they don't have any of that because for whatever reason those things aren't transferred or they don't offer them to you so you want to have your own things so those are the things that the top three things that i made sure that i had were the birth certificate social security numbers any health records you want to go to the doctor's office and ask them for shot records and um, any other information medicines or anything that you may need because those may be very difficult to try to obtain when you get somewhere else because you're not going to be able to just go to to the doctor's office and sign um, release, um, you know, sign consent form so you can uh, release of information. Okay, so then um, after you have all of that, you want to check in with the new school district for boundaries to check where your new address is going to be and make sure that you're going to be registering them in 
to the correct school and everything lines up right and make sure you go online and nowadays the cool thing about it is everything can be do- done online so you want to register online and then you want to make sure that you're in full contact and let the let the staff know when you're registering online that you are a foster parent that you are bringing in new foster home and that see if they can pull together any um, resources or anything and that way it makes for a smoother and gentler um, transition because they already are aware and that you may not have everything that you need so some of the things that you will need to make sure that you have um, all schools require for you to have proof of address well as if you're trying to move so make sure that you have your foster care program mail you something okay have them mail you something so what we did is we from california we had california foster care program mail us something right away so that we would when we came we would already have that information now if you're leasing or if you already have turned on the utilities utility bills and such like that will need to um, get in schools now everybody's different but those are the things that i ran into because um, when you're first moving and you have kiddos it's just so stressful so i highly recommend having those documents ready to go so you can register your children so doing the process online saves so much so when we moved to portland oregon from california we moved we literally drove in our car all day long on the first and literally on november 2nd um 2021 the children started school because i had all my documents okay um again and then also too Make sure that either on the first day or when you're registering for school online ahead of time, ask about um, any programs after school care that you may need. So here are the, some of the things in Portland, Oregon that helped us. Um, Boys and Girls Club, what are the policies? Are there pickup and drop-offs? So I was able to register register the children into a Boys and Girls program that was that offered after school care and they actually transfer the children so that kept me from having to pick them up from school also check into free music lessons um also some schools offer um free shoes have a clothes closet check into those resources especially again i reiterate make sure that you are letting folks know across the board that you are foster mom i know typically we like to hold those cards and not let everybody know but in this case this was saving grace um, for me because the school really stepped up and offered all kinds of support gift cards clothes Um, here are some other things um, that i recommend that you need to get from your state before you leave to the new state you want to get a placement agreement so that if you are pulled over or you have to take the kids to an emergency that that shows that why do you have these children why do you have them in your care so you do want to get placement agreement you also want to get consent to seek medical treatment. Sometimes that's one and the same, the form, and sometimes they're different um, because these are the things that weren't offered, but I thought to ask them for. Also, big, big one, because especially since I started this conversation off talking about school and registering them, you want to ask your state before you leave to go to a new state about educational rights um, because at one point in time, um, other family members or sometimes the state or the county where you're living um, a lot of times foster children their educational rights are held by someone other than you so i had to make sure i had those so that i could register them in school now here's a big one make sure you save enough money okay because one of the things that i encountered is that when i transferred one of the things that no one ever told me was that um 
the that they may have to recalculate funding. And so when I got transferred from California to Oregon, California had um, a policy that was unknown to me, which states that they will now pay me at the rate of a Oregon foster care, which is significantly um, less. It's like $300 a child less because um, well, I know we don't really talk about money, but hey, I'm going to give you this tip is that California is one of the highest paying, pays their, their foster parents higher um, across the nation. And so I didn't know that. And when I got here, um, our payments were cut off for the last two months. And so we were scrambling around calling, asking people. And I guess in the background, there's an eligibility officer who determines how much you're going to get paid because you're going to be in a different state or county and you will be paid those fair rates. And so that is one of the biggest things. So make sure you save money to uh, get clothes, uh, do whatever you need to do um, for daycare because your payments may be cut off your stipend or whatever you guys call it in your state. Um, and then um, here in Portland, here are here's one of the best uh, programs um, that actually helps is when you get to your new state, um, check in with locker foster care support groups. Um, every child PDX was a saving grace for us. They sent, um, gift cards to help us, um, restock our refrigerator. Um, the biggest thing about this whole thing is be prepared to be recertified in the new state. So here in Oregon, when we moved from California to Oregon, we had to get recertified. And so that meant that we had to meet with a certifier that came over to make sure our house was, um, safe and healthy and that we had best practices having everything locked up and so those are the kind of things that we had to spend money on locks and um, redoing our house and making sure that medicine was locked up making sure the household items were locked up um, and then we also had to do a background check okay and then we also um, had to do fingers live finger scans which is the fbi scan so um, there's my complete list of what it takes um, to uh, complete a full transfer um, it is not typical to be able to take foster children out of the state but in certain circumstances depending on where the case is um, you will be allowed to for us um, i can say is that our children um, we are on our way to doing a foster adopt and we're further along towards the the adoption process. Um, there were many people that decided that this was a good move for the children. I hope that this helped. And again, my name is Nikki Brown and make sure you follow me on Instagram at black and brown foster. Wow. That's a lot of paperwork to track down and tasks to complete. Even when not moving, fostering can be exhausting. As Nikki said, make sure to follow her on Instagram at black and brown foster. She shares a lot of really great foster parenting ideas. If you are a foster parent in Colorado, make sure to check out our statewide resource database created in partnership with Cobbled Streets that has more than 200 resources, including after-school programs that are foster-friendly, Medicaid-accepting healthcare, free therapy for foster parents, and so much more. Or check out our website, justaspecial.com, for more foster parent support no matter where you live. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Just As Special.